0: Okay, today is April the 29th, 2010. Only one more day left in this month. I'll remind you that we're going to have Communion Sunday this this coming Sunday. And if you hadn't signed up for the meal, but would you, you'd like to stay, go ahead and uh, stay, have fellowship with us and eat. And you can settle up with Marry later, or whatever you want to do. And you can ask friends to come. You know, I I don't know how many people do that, but that's a good opportunity to bring some folks. Um, Usually when you ask people to church, your chance of them coming goes up about 100% if there's a free meal in the deal. And they will get gospel. So you might keep that in mind. Also, there will be no... Friday night at the movies, tomorrow night. We, we postponed that till the following Friday. And uh, Bruce Dixon is going to be performing in Belleville, the Buffalo Winery, I believe. Uh, somewhere in Belleville. Um, from 6 to 10. Seven, 7 to 10? Okay, 7 to 10. Uh, I bet you can go anywhere in Belleville and ask somebody, they'll tell you. Okay, so you go through Belleville, head towards Sealy, and it's right there on our right. How far out? Three or four miles out. You can see it from the road. Okay. Uh, let's see, what else? That's all I can remember as far as now. Let's go for right now. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Uh, opportunity to name privately to God any unconfessed sins, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day that we can look forward to seeing you work on our behalf. We live in enemy territory in the devil's world, but he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Exciting times we live in, easy to get distracted. However, you are faithful, and we can glorify you by growing in grace and knowledge and faithfully taking in your word, which transforms us even to the renewing of our minds. We pray that you will help us this very night to concentrate for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If you take your Bibles and open to first Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two. Starting with verse 13, and for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. That's where we spent the entire message last Tuesday, past Tuesday. And we were focusing really on just the last two phrases, if you'll remember. The Word of God which performs its work in you. You know, you take vitamins and they work for you around the clock, don't they? And you don't even know they're working. I've taken vitamins before and thought, well, I might be throwing my money away because I can't tell anything different. It doesn't make me any prettier. And I don't seem to have that much more energy, but it probably is. You know, it's cleaning out your liver and helping your your entrails and your everything. Uh, well, the Word of God is... Like that in one fashion is that it's working for you 24-7 round the clock. But you don't have to worry about whether it's doing any good or not. You don't have to worry about, is doctrine really going to transform me to the renewing of, my, of our mind? Because it's God at work. He never fails. He's always perfect. And so as we're taking in this Word, we keep taking it in, we keep taking it in. And over a period of time, you should see some results. I'm not talking about circumstances. I'm talking about in the way you think. I would say it's probably near to impossible for someone to consistently take in the Word, be filled with the Holy Spirit, concentrating, That goes in and it's doing its work. It's doing its work right now for you. It's not something that we are aware of. In fact, your body is taking care of all types of systems that are going on in your body right now. You know, aren't you glad that God didn't make us to where we have to remember to breathe? I mean, wouldn't it be a bummer? Oh, man, I forgot to breathe. You fall asleep you have to put some kind of timer on some kind of some kind of switch to make sure that you're breathing all that. your body's taking care of that same thing with the, the energy going into your cells and all the the waste material going out and it's doing its job it's just percolating right along but we don't feel it do we you might feel better if you take vitamins and eat right but all these things are going on in your body do you ever doubt that that happens You shouldn't? Because if you're not taking in physical food and it being metabolized and doing the job that it was designed to do, for one thing, you wouldn't be here. Even if someone did wheel you in here, you wouldn't have enough energy to your brain or oxygen even to be able to think or listen or hear or speak or anything else. So you have to have what? Some type of nourishment to those cells, don't you? And yet, most people think, well, I understand that, but when it comes to the spiritual realm, who cares? There are a lot that give a nod to God once a week, and they compartmentalize their spiritual life. Your spiritual life is for Sundays. That here, it's usually an hour, sometimes a little more. A lot of places, it's 20 minutes of actually getting the Word if they get that much. that's their deal. That's their spiritual life and then they press on and get in the real world and they act like everybody else. However, our spiritual life needs nourishment also. And that's what the Word of God does is it feeds our soul. It is altogether capable of transforming us into into what God wants us to be and that is to be like His Son. We are here to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Of course, we're never going to make a full transformation where we're anything close to Him. However, we can live a life where we're not controlled by our circumstances. We can live a life where we can have complete Contentment and happiness and joy and fulfillment filled with confidence and security right here in enemy territory in the devil's world. That can be ours. Because when you consistently take in doctrine, it does its job. It is feeding, I wouldn't say spiritual cells. I don't know what spiritual cells look like. I don't know what they would be. But it makes a difference. It makes a difference in the way you think and the way that you think determines everything it determines whether you're going to be happy or miserable on this short time we're on this planet it's what you think everything follows what you think and so when you understand that god has already given you the greatest gift he could ever give you which is eternal salvation you have eternal life you have his own righteousness your ticket to heaven's guaranteed which is the spark. It is the thing that starts the personal sense of eternal destiny. Once you have that one down, you've got it. You've already got your start of looking forward through time, anticipating when we will not be in this veil of tears anymore. Some of of us will be reigning with Christ. (laughs) How about that? I've been doing some studying in Revelation lately, and there's no in-between. Those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, especially in this church age, are going to have blessings and honor beyond our wildest dreams. Some of us will be sitting on thrones around God's throne. And waiting for the point in history where we will return with Jesus Christ, then we will be ruling on earth. The Bible speaks of great glory for those who overcome, and we we anticipate that now. How long do you have to overcome? To your date, <laughs> until your time on earth is over whether that's the rapture or whether that's physical death we have great things to look forward to those are the things that inspire us if all you think about are earthly things detail, physical things you're missing it you're missing what God really wants us to have. How many people do you know outside of yourself and apart from you if you weren't there to talk about spiritual things, how many people do you know that talk about spiritual things outside of this circle? Most people have such an abysmal ignorance of spiritual things that they never even talk about them. They have no earthly idea why they're here. They don't know where they're going. It's just a big question mark for them. No sense of destiny. Just, I hope today is going to be a good day. Hope I can muddle through it on their own power. They don't even know there's another power, they don't even know uh, that they may sing Amazing Grace. But it's just words. But if you have Bible doctrine circulating in your stream of consciousness, in your own trap, you are growing. Your momentum is moving forward. You're thinking divine viewpoint. If that's going on for you and you sing amazing grace, it means something. Because you understand something about grace. You understand about even now and here and now getting things that we do not deserve. Someone asked me not too long ago, what is your definition of grace? I said, it's getting what you don't deserve. So that's what we're about, is transforming our mind. What did our verse say? I said we were looking at His Word. We're in verse, um, the Bible fell open to Colossians. had a three hour great study today in Colossians. I was tempted to teach it. Okay, here we are. The word of God which is also which also performs its work in you. We're gonna look at this quickly. We've already gone through this, but some of you haven't seen it. Something happens when you learn Bible doctrine. Your soul is infused with knowledge and has power to transform you. God commands us to be transformed, Romans 12:2. Stop being conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformed, that Greek word there is metamorphoōmai. And it means to change form. We actually change. It's what the word that was used when Christ was transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, 2. Present tense. How long does it take to be saved? How long does it take to say, I believe in Jesus Christ? That would be in an aorist tense, but this is the present tense. This transformation goes on and on and on. You know you're not the same person physically mentally soulishly or spiritually that you were 10 years ago and you have a whole different set of problems don't you You may even have a whole new set of friends So you can't you can't learn doctrine and think okay this is going to hold me from here on out You can't stock up on Doctrine like a camel stocks up on water. How much how much manna did God give the Israelites for forty years? Did he did he back in a big heavenly dump truck and and, and dump it all out and say, okay, this is going to last you for ten years. I'll see you again in ten. Do it four more times. No, one day at a time. What would happen if they tried to store it up? <laughs> It said, uh, "What does this King James says? Yeah, it uh, rotted and stanketh or stinketh or it was bad, had worms. Sound like some pretty bad stuff. So we get it one day at a time. Passive voice indicates that we receive this transformation; we don't cause it. In other words, all you're doing is sitting there, concentrating on the filling of the Holy Spirit, and God is really doing all the work. You're doing all the receiving." It's in the imperative mood. It's command. Let's see. Let's get down here. The work of the Word of God does... The work of God... Excuse me. Let me start over here. This work the Word of God does is invisible. It's on the inside, but eventually it's manifested on the outside. We went over that but only those to those who believe. I think that's one of the biggest problems in Christianity today. You have a lot of people take, well, let me take it back. Not a lot of people, but you have some believers who are consistently taking it in. But that in and of itself is not going to do the trick. You also have to do what? Uh, I'm going to have to. (laughs) Yeah, you have to believe it. But even if you believe it, what about if I could take you to my barn and I could show you all these, these notebooks that I took where I was handwriting notes. And I could say, hey, let's go to the 1st and 2nd Samuel books, the, the notes there. And I could wax eloquent on telling you everything about King David from the time that he was first recognized by Samuel all the way to the end, which is in Second Samuel, where he had a, a bed, water, bed warmer by the name of Abishag. Did you know that? I mean, so what if I know all these things, but I don't apply any of it? It's not going to cut the mustard, is it? It's knowing and applying. Because... You can you can learn something. See, there are believers that can quote scripture and they can tell you uh, the principles with regards to doctrine, but they really ha- it hasn't metabolized their soul to the point to where they can or will apply it. That's that's where the rubber meets the road. It's in the application. Sometimes I think we are misunderstood thinking that it's all about knowledge all you have to do is acquire knowledge and you're going to be a spiritual giant well you can't be a spiritual giant you can't reach spiritual maturity without knowledge but we're not here just to acquire knowledge we are here to allow God's Word to transform us our thinking so that we can reflect his glory in what we do, what we say, and what we think. That's why we're here. Okay, I'm kind of ling- lingering here. Oh, there's the application. Epinosis. James called this being hearers instead of doers. If you're just a hearer and you never do, there's no application. You are a doer. James 1.22 says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You see, if you sit here and you take in the Word and you're learning it, but you never apply it, then you're deceiving yourself into thinking that you're a spiritual giant. Because there's no real metabol- metabolization going on. Or if there is any, your will falters and stumbles when it's time to apply it for whatever reason. Here's the Here are... Hold on. I'm the, uh, let me get a drink of water. Ice. <clears throat> Hears of the Word are not experientially sanctified. That's another way of putting it. It is hearers and doers that receive rewards at the Nike Awards Ceremony. Everybody know what the Nike Awards Ceremony is? Anybody wearing Nike tennis shoes? Nike means victor, victory. It's the Victory Awards Ceremony you could just put there JSC, Judgment Seat of Christ. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be the Nike Award Ceremony. It's going to be doers that are going to be awarded. Those who expect to receive rewards based on hearing the word are what? Deceiving themselves. Then we go to First Thessalonians chapter two, verse fourteen through sixteen a. Now I've changed this because when I had this up here Tuesday night, I went from verse fourteen to verse fifteen a, because there is a sentence in the New American Bible. There is a period there, and there's and then another sentence begins. But the Greek goes all the way from verse first uh, from verse. 14 to 16a, in the middle of verse 16, you have an, a, the end of the sentence. So that's a pretty long sentence, isn't it? Paul could really string those words together. And when you're, when you're translating the Greek into English, and you, you, you have a sentence this long, because we are not Greek speakers, if that's not your native tongue, and you're struggling trying to get all the way through, by the time you get about two-thirds through, you're thinking, now what did he say up there? (laughs) He He could string them together. Let's read it. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the, from the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to Gentiles that they might be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. We start out with, For you, brethren. Sometimes you hear people say, We're all God's children. But that's not true you ever heard that out in, the, out in the world? Well, we're all God's children. And everybody, oh, yes, sir. Well, it's not true. You're not a child of God unless you accept the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Then, and only then, are you a child of God. And I think we are remiss if we just let that slide, because that's a golden opportunity for us to explain something. Well, I just I stole my own thunder here, didn't I? The only way to become a child of God is to be born again. So everyone is not our brother, but every believer is our brother or sister. Now, we don't call each other brother and sister. Did you ever call your biological brothers or sister brother or sister? Maybe at times, but normally most people don't say call them brother or sister. But we have a bond I'm talking about we believers have a bond and a spirit of corps and a union that is much stronger than family times. That is earthly family times. Because if you have a family member and they're not a believer, that's not going to last for eternity, is it? But, your spiritual brothers and sisters will always be there. The Thessalonian believers were Gentiles and they were persecuted by Gentiles, just as their counterparts, the Jews, were persecuted in Judea by the Jews. All believers who learn and apply doctrine will suffer persecution in one form or another. Did you hear that? All believers who apply doctrine will suffer persecution. And suffer. Often it comes from friends, or even people in our own family. And why is that? Because doctrine divides. It always has, and it always will. Matthew chapter ten, verse thirty-four through thirty-eight. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. When I was thinking about that, a lot of people associate Jesus Christ's incarnation and His birth as and describe Him as the Prince of Peace. Did He bring peace when He was born? No, not not world peace. Now, He offers that peace that passes all understanding to believers, but the kind of peace that we're talking about here, He did not bring. He's going to bring it. And all hell is going to break loose, and for him to be able to accomplish it, but he didn't bring peace. He said, "But a sword." What about that word "sword"? There, what does that remind you when you see a sword? What is it that's called a sword in the Bible? The Machaira. Huh? He brought a sword. The word of God is like a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Wow. He who loves father or mother, mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What is this talking about when it's talking Talking about if you don't love, if you love your mother or your or your daughter or whoever it is more than me, you're not worthy of me. What is that talking about? In real terms, what does he mean? He means that we have to make a decision. I bet there's not a person here that doesn't have family members that are either unsaved or negative towards doctrine. And if you try to kowtow to their unrighteousness. If you try to put their feelings towards you above your faithfulness to God, you're in trouble. If you're doing that, you're not worthy of Him. And that if you're a believer, that doesn't mean you lost your salvation. What it means is you're not worthy to be called an ambassador. You already have that... that uh, You are an ambassador. Just because you hold an office doesn't mean that you're worthy of it, does it? What should our attitude be when we suffer for refusing to compromise Bible doctrine? Well, before we go into that, I think I need to make a few more illustrations. You see, every time you stand for doctrine, you can expect to suffer. I'll give you an illustration. Homosexuality is rampant in our in our country. And it the, the, the social setting is acceptance of homosexual of the homosexual. Not only is it accepted, it is celebrated. They have praise going down the street with all this blasphemy going on. Politicians clamor to get in the parade so they can get more votes. And you may know someone. They might be a friend or they might be a family member. And you have a choice to make. Am I going to stand firm for doctrine? Or am I going to demonstrate to the world that I still love them so I'll go ahead and accept them just as they are? Isn't that what you hear them say? Well, if you're going to love me, you have to love me just to, just like I am. That's kind of a kind of a foginess there. You see, if you had a, a, a let's say a, a child that became a homosexual, and usually what happens when they so-called come out of the closet is they make a demand. They want to see, are you going to accept them or not? Accept them means you accept them and their lifestyle. And if you accept them and their lifestyle, the idea is then you really love them. But if you don't accept them and their lifestyle, you didn't really love them in the first place. That's a wedge that they try to uh, put in between there. It's, It's a lie. You see, you can still love them. In fact if you really love them then you're not going to accept their lifestyle because it's it's a blasphemy to god it's an abomination to god how could, how, how could accepting them and the demand is and their lifestyle that's the only way that they're going to come that they that, that I've ever seen it happen how can Accepting their abomination help them in any way. You don't have to prove anything. There's all types of things. There are people who live together who are not married. There's uh, christenings and and there's these um, confirmations. There's homosexuals. There's all types of unrighteousness that goes on. And we have to make a decision. Are we going to compromise doctrine in order to be liked, in order to be popular, in order to be accepted? The Bible says if you stand strong for righteousness and for God's Word, you're going to suffer. And you're going to be accused of being wacko, a zealot, out of touch with reality. Because if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you are non oddball. You don't live like everybody else lives. And you don't think like everybody else thinks. It's, a, it's, a, it's unbelievable how many churches and how many people that go to churches, should I say, religiously, and they're shacking up. And nobody says anything about it and nobody seems to care. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, do we? Uh, believers that do that are not walking worthily of the lord because people are surely going to say who are you to judge and you're you're a big religious snob you're out of touch with reality you see we don't judge the people that's god's job but we have to judge by our decisions whether we are going to compromise with unrighteousness or we're going to be or we're going to stand apart from it. And this gets really interesting when it's friends or family, doesn't it? And suffering is real. And it seems like as we continue as a country and as a world to spiral into deeper and deeper degeneracy, we are forced more and more to make these kind of decisions. I taught before that, that if you go to a christening, that's where they're baptizing babies, by the way, which is nowhere in the Bible is that condoned. There's no illustrations of any babies being baptized. we Some of them, they sprinkle them. And this came up years ago, and I can remember there was a woman here that took issue with me. I said, I won't go to a christening, period. If it's one of my own grandchildren, I will not go. Because my very presence there lends credence to what's going on. What's going on is not biblical. It's not right. It's unrighteous. It's false. And this woman said, well, you know, what you're doing really is just ruining any possibility that you'll have an end and have these people here in the future. I said, well, that might be true. But having their ear is not worth the price of compromising the Word of God, is it? We have to stand apart. Oh, you're a prude. Oh, you're Victorian. You're Puritans. What's the matter with being pure? James 1 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. First Peter four thirteen, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that uh, also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Do you understand what he's saying there? There's a personal sense of destiny there. That is linking the suffering that you may experience when you stand for truth and you say, no, I won't be a part of it. And here comes the insults. Here comes the accusations. Here comes the adversity. And you stick to your guns. Why? Because this says you should be rejoicing because God takes note of that And it's going to result in rejoicing at the revelation of His glory. Is it something God's going to share His glory with us? That's a great verse. 2 Timothy 2.12 If we endure, the idea there is suffering, we shall also reign with Him. Now you can... Suffer, or you can go along with the pack. You can go along to get along. Take the easy route. You have that option. Or you can take the hard road of a faithful servant. And you'll, you'll endure suffering. But if you endure suffering, there's a promise there. Reigning with Christ. Matthew five eleven and 12. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Open your Bibles to Matthew 5.11. I want you to underline some of these things. Matthew 5.11. And what I want you to underline... is the part where it says your reward in heaven is great. Throughout the ages there's been saints. All they had to do was deny Jesus Christ and live. And yet they considered it an honor to die on His behalf. What do you think is waiting for them? I'm talking about torture. Boiled in oil. Sawed into. Die by the sword. And probably the worst of all, be burned alive. You think we got persecution? We really don't have any persecution now. But that could change very easily. Carrie and I were watching a a video. The period was around... 1944, it was in Budapest, the Nazis were taking over. And both of us were struck at how quickly things changed. If you think they can't change that quickly here, you're mistaken. There may be a lot of suffering still around the corner for us. When you suffer for righteousness, the Bible says you're blessed. You should count it all joy. And be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. Well, they, so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Verse 15, who both killed. Jesus did not really die on the cross and therefore did not rise from the dead. Have you ever heard any of that nonsense? Well, the Bible says they they killed the Lord Jesus. He wasn't injured. He wasn't in critical condition. He died physically on the cross. Of course, there's other ways we could demonstrate that also. Paul is not being anti-Semitic by his remark. He is simply stating a fact of history. The Romans carried out the execution, but only because they were pressured to do so by the Jews. When He came in on that Palm Sunday and they were rejoicing and singing and throwing palm branches out and saying, Hosanna in the highest. Before the week was over, they were, singing, they were crying out, crucify Him. It's God's purpose to bless all the families of the earth through Israel, according to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Know anything else about that verse, Anybody? Genesis 12.3, anybody know anything else interesting about that verse? How about, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And you, Israel, will be a blessing to all nations. How is Israel a blessing to all nations? Forever. Because Jesus Christ is a Jew, came from the line of Israel. They were to be his messengers of grace and they failed miserably in this mission even though he gave them his promises. promises's before we hot off it's not because there were these Jews that were crying out to have Jesus cried on the cross Jesus Christ Okay, that's just a few of the things that he did for them. He sent them on and on and on, and then they would disobey. Grace always preaches. you all as prior. Put them for their wickedness. He'd judge them. Rather than keeping the warning, they kill the prophets. King, What did he warn them? What was their greatest thing? When it occurs, You better beware, because your time is short. People will know time is short. They had no excuse. And so, in 70 A.D., the hammer fell. They returned to Jerusalem, continued with their defiance. So, by 70 A.D., God destroyed their nation and scattered them throughout the entire world. The nation has been restored, but they remain in unbelief. Isn't that amazing? Israel, if anybody ever says anything about the Bible, and they say, why do you believe in the Bible? Just say, because of Israel. Israel is absolutely unique. There's never been a nation that has disappeared, that was scattered throughout all the earth for nearly 2,000 years, lost their language. It was a a desolate place. A lot of people have counted them out. Forget about it. And look at them today. In, in the prophets, in, in Zechariah and Ezekiel and Daniel, all of them said they're coming back. Now, a lot of people think they're not coming back to the second advent, but they're already back. And it is very significant. He said they were going to be back. But they're back in unbelief. Where is, uh, Ken, you just came from Israel. How, how many uh, churches do you see in Israel? Uh, Maybe. (laughs) okay. Um, my point is the unbelief there is is overwhelming. They're still waiting for their Messiah. They rejected their Messiah. And I don't know what percentage would be, but if you would put uh, the number of believers that live in Israel, it would be uh, very small because they've rejected their Messiah, and yet God still faithfully brought them back and has blessed them and protected them, and they didn't deserve any of it. And that's what you call what? Grace. And all of it was predicted down to the least little, every detail of it. They will not acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Messiah until they experience the worst suffering of all time during the tribulation called Daniel's 70th week. Now, that's punitive suffering. The kind of suffering that we've been talking about, that blessed are you when you suffer, is when you suffer for righteousness. You know what happens if you don't suffer for righteousness? If you cave? If you give in? Then you're going to suffer for unrighteousness. I think back about, um, I think it was the Oprah show or some talk show, and they had Marina Navaterola, famous woman tennis player also a lesbian and this is quite a while back it's when any of this lesbianism or homosexuality being on TV was something not seen too often and of course they were throwing softballs to her as far as questions and essentially, they were celebrating her lifestyle. And one guy stands up. He was a Christian. He says, well, I don't think it's right. And you should have seen. There was a hush that fell over. It was a gasp. Like, oh. did he say that? And I was watching it. <coughs> I started leaning forward. I was nearly in that television. And, of course, they attacked him with the usual attack. Well, who are you to judge? Doesn't the Bible say you're supposed to love everybody? That was enough to derail him. He didn't know what to say after that. seems like are always uh, a believer that has no doctrine that stands up and gets the limelight like that. I, I wish it would have been one of you or me. Perfect millions of people watching and say, you know what? I'm commanded to love you. God commands me to love you. And I'm not judging you. But God judges me if I don't make the right judgments. And for me to accept something that he calls abomination would bring judgment on me. So it's not you. In fact, I'll pray for you. Because I'm told to pray for you and to love you. That doesn't mean that your lifestyle is going to be accepted by me. Because it's not accepted by God. Something like that. Some kind of reply. Wouldn't that be great? Have any of you ever heard that kind of reply when these type of issues are brought up? Can any of you even remember one time? I mean, I really want to know. If you did, I'd like to hear about it. Maybe there was and we didn't hear it, but my point is there's very little of that going on where somebody can stand for righteousness. If that guy would have said something like that, do you think they would have said, yeah, he has a point? Not hardly. He probably wouldn't have got out of there without some kind of uh, escort. They hate people that expose their wickedness and their unrighteousness. And if you even suggest that they're going to be held accountable to God for it, woo, you've really had it then. Well, the Word of God is still alive and powerful, and it still divides. And I hope, I pray, that every one of you will have the alertness, the keen sense of mind, When these issues happen, for that doctrine just to come right out. And for you to just speak out and not be shy. And not give a hoot. If they're going to insult you and attack you, and even if they kill you, it doesn't make any difference. Isn't that great? We've got truth on our side. We don't want to be little... Why need babies that are going to cave in every time there's a little adversity? By the way, that was an exhortation. I'm not chewing out anybody. I don't want you to get that wrong. I am exhorting you. And when I do that, it actually exhorts myself. You need to hear that, don't you? That's what we do is we exhort each other. When someone is suffering for righteousness' sake, we should parakala'o them. Remember that? You go and you put your arm around and say, Come here. I'm proud of you proud of you. You know. What can I do to help you? That type of thing. I think we're going to need that more and more. And he drove us out. That might be a good time to quit, huh? <laughs> I think that might be a sign, even though the clock isn't working up there, and he drove us out. <laughs> uh, let's close. Father, we are so thankful that you change not, and you are altogether perfect and righteous and just. And you tell us to be the same, for you command us to be holy. Holy. We can't even start to experience the true happiness and joy and fulfillment that You want for us in this life till we understand the importance of that. That we don't compromise or make deals with unrighteousness or those who would lure us into that trap. We pray that You will help us to see it clearly, that we'll have the courage and the spiritual vigor to be good ambassadors and be faithful to you. We pray this in the name of the one that is most high, Jesus Christ, our Lord and only Savior. Amen.